tonight on The Readout. I'm going to have to swallow this to see Mr. Jones back up here walking these hollowed halls that the greats of Tennessee stood in and watched them disrespect this, this state that I chose to move to. And by golly, it's got to stop. By golly, as Justin Pearson is sworn back into the Tennessee legislature, leaked audio of the Tennessee Republicans who expelled him reveals exactly who they are. And it's not pretty. Also tonight, as jury selection gets underway in the Dominion defamation trial against Fox, we're hearing new audio of top Trump lackeys admitting there was no evidence to support their wild election conspiracy theories. And then arrest today in that major intelligence leak. The documents were revealed to the world through the Discord online platform, which has been very popular with far-right extremists. But we begin tonight with a performance that would have made even P.T. Barnum squirm. By that, I am referring to the recent interview between the living curiosities, Donald Trump and Tucker Carlson. For all to see, Trump displayed his usual performance of pretending that reality isn't real, while Tuckums showed to all how he could pretend to adore the man he called a demonic force whom he hates passionately. Trump's biggest illusion was his claim that New York court employees were crying and apologizing to him when he appeared for his arraignment on felony charges last week. I'll tell you, people were crying, people that work there professionally work there that have no problems putting in murderers and they see everybody. It's tough, tough place. And they were crying. They were actually crying. They said, I'm sorry. Uh, they'd say 2024, sir, 2024. And tears are pouring down. There is actually no. Sorry to ruin the illusion, but that appears to be just another one of Trump's alternative facts. Two people working in the courthouse that day tell NBC News they didn't see anything resembling Trump's claims of court staffers with tear-stained faces. And neither did any of the multiple reporters following Trump's every step that day. And from what we saw, Trump couldn't even get employees there to hold the door for him, let alone show any signs of wiping away tears. But as we've learned, it's not about the truth or the facts. It's all just a performance, a performance by Trump, by Tucker, and by Fox itself. It's all being done for the very demanding Fox audience. And that is how we have arrived at this point. We're in a Delaware courthouse today. Jury selection was underway for the Dominion Voting System's $1.6 billion defamation lawsuit against the pretend news network. That trial is set to begin on Monday. It will include those very same performers at Fox having to testify, including Tucker, Laura Ingraham, Sean Hannity, Maria Bartiromo, as well as the Fox chairman himself, Rupert Murdoch, who could testify as early as Monday, according to reports. Perhaps one of the most unbridled performers egging on the rest of them was Trump's personal lawyer and hype man, Rudy Giuliani. This is real. It is not made up. It is not, there's nobody here that engages in fantasies. For example, not, not ever hiring again a company that counts votes in Frankfurt, Germany, that's owned by two Venezuelans who are very close to Hugo Chavez and Maduro. I know crimes. I can smell them. You don't have to smell this one. I can prove it to you 18 different ways. I can prove to you that he won Pennsylvania by 300,000 votes. I can prove to you that he won Michigan by probably 50,000 votes. So they've done everything they can to yell out to you we were tampering with the ballots without being stupid enough to show it to you. 
<laughs> but we know that behind the scenes, the guy with the dye dripping down his face told a very different story, not willing to push his allegations quite as far. Remember, in one of the Pennsylvania federal cases after the 2020 election, Giuliani admitted to the judge that their case was not, in fact, a fraud case. And now, in newly released recordings obtained exclusively by my colleague Alex Wagner, between Rudy and Maria Bartiromo, just after the 2020 election, indicate that, surprise, Rudy had no evidence that there was anything wrong with Dominion voting machines. I'm going to be asking you for as much evidence as you can tell us about these lawsuits. Whatever you can tell us in terms of evidence would be really helpful. Okay, great. I can tell you exactly what we have. Perfect. And um, what about this software, this Dominion software? That's, that's a little harder troubling. to tell you right. It's being it's anal, being analyzed right now. I mean, there are a couple okay. of races that have been reversed because uh, the Democrat was triple counted, two, two already in Michigan. Now, Absolutely. whether that applies for the whole state or not, I, I can't tell you yet. This Dominion software, does Nancy Pelosi have an interest in it? I've read that. I I, I can't prove that. That conversation was recorded by former Fox producer Abby Grossberg, who is suing the company for discrimination and is expected to testify during the Dominion trial. She also provided other recordings, including a Trump official in December of 2020, telling Fox they, too, found no evidence of any issues with Dominion's voting machines. We've reached out to both Fox and to Giuliani's team for comment. No response yet. Now let's bring in Paul Butler, former federal prosecutor, Georgetown law professor and MSNBC legal analyst, and Tim Miller, MSNBC political analyst and writer at large for The Bulwark. And I will start with you, uh, Paul. We talked before the show went on about the crying and the weeping. Um, Your thoughts on whether this is just a dumb lie or a lie that actually could get Trump in some problems? All of the above. Trump insulted the integrity of the people who work at the courthouse. On day one, if you work at a courthouse, everybody learns from the file clerks to the judges that courts have to be objective. They have to be neutral. So if it really happened, somebody could get fired. Hmm. But I doubt that Judge Merchant actually believes that people in the courthouse were crying. So last week, Trump was ordered by the judge not to say anything that would incite violence or civil unrest. I don't think this statement quite reaches that level. But look, for the first time in Trump's life, a judge in a criminal case has authority over what he says, what he puts online, and what he does. He's inching closer and closer to a gag order. You know, and Tim, you know, the, the idea, obviously, to saying that to, to Tucker, who is pretending not, not to despise him passionately, um, is to try to make the courthouse, particularly the police officers, the, the people who look like cops, sound like just we're, they're one of you. And they're so upset about this indictment that you should be upset too. He's trying to sort of translate his own fear and pain onto the audience when the polling shows that, you know, at least most independents, most people who aren't like Arden Fox viewers really don't mind that he's being indicted. 
Yeah, most people don't care about this. I, I mean, a lot of his own people who voted for him don't really care about this. Uh, there was not, thank God, the, you know, massive protests and the threats of violence that I think f people rightly worried about. I, you know, I think that a lot of folks, um, are, you know, who are planning to vote in a Republican primary are still aligning themselves with him and, and are sympathetic to him, uh, you know, feel like he's being attacked by their perceived enemies. But, like, they're not so upset that they're crying. <laughs> and they're not so upset that they're out there protesting. Uh, and this is just a standard Trump play. I mean, Trump lies, right? News at five. But, I, you know, he's been doing this, these stories about people calling him sir and people crying. I, he did a story recently about how Ron DeSantis was crying. Everybody seems to weep and wash and, and, <laughs> and wail when they're around Trump. Ron DeSantis apparently did when he begged him for the endorsement. So, and this is just Trump trying to puff himself up um, at a time, you know, when he was at his, at a, at a very vulnerable, weak, submissive time, you know, when he had to stand before a judge. Or, or influence the jury. I mean, I, I doubt Ivanka is crying. I mean, let's just be clear, <laughs> yeah. right? I'm, Tiffany, maybe a little bit, you know, maybe. Uh, but So <laughs> l let me play another recording, because the other piece of this is it feels like Dominion has, I mean, I'm not a lawyer, but this sounds like a pretty solid case. Let me play another, because this, okay, this is Maria Bartiromo talking with a Trump campaign official. This is on December 5th, 2020. They knew they had lost the election. And here is what the conversation sounded like on December 5th. Are any of the machines, I know it was on War Room the other day with Steve Bannon, have any of the machines been looked at? He had said that one was looked at in Georgia. I'd have to check on that in terms of Georgia. I know during the audit they did check on those machines. Um, they're really, you know, the, the, if we just go off the record for one sec here. Yeah, Chip Clark. Um, I, I, want, I don't want us to say it if it's not. That's why we're yeah, checking. I would, I would, I would. I think they have looked at the machines. Uh, when, the, when the Secretary of State did its audit, uh, there, there was a lot, of, I think, a fair bit of looking at the machines. Um, you know, the audit came in pretty darn close to what the machine count was with the receipts. So, you know, I don't know the outcome of those, but our understanding, again, this is what the Secretary of State's office, was that there weren't any physical issues with machines on those inspections. So obviously that was not Maria Bartiromo. That was a Fox News worsening a producer or someone from Fox News. But we understand that that tells you that the company understood. People at the company who had editorial uh, responsibility understood on December 5th. There was nothing that they could find from the Trump campaign itself. Now let's hear Maria Bartiromo. This is the next night. This is on December 6th, 2020, interviewing Rudy Giuliani. And here's what that conversation sounded like. Rudy, th this is pretty extraordinary, and obviously these are very, very serious charges. How come the media does not report that you have this evidence? I mean, we're looking at the videos of people pulling ballots out from under a table. We're looking at the, the affidavits that you are presenting, and yet, I mean, the Wall Street Journal this morning, the title, Trump uses rally for Georgia Senate candidates to push unsupported claims of voting fraud. So Rudy, on, the, on a phone call on November 8th, says, you know, I'm not sure we're there yet to really tell you definitively what's going on. The, the Trump campaign says to Fox News, eh, we really don't really have it. But then Maria Bartiromo goes on the air anyway, and they have this conversation as if they've got fraud. I mean, to me, that sounds like a pretty slam dunk case. So it's a First Amendment issue in some ways because Fox News is a journalistic organization. Under the law, if it's a public figure, you're only liable for defamation if, one, the statement is false, mm -hmm. and B, you know it's false and still say it, or you, you recklessly disregard 
whether it's false. So there's compelling evidence yeah. that Fox News. They knew. knew. They knew. There's receipts. The CEO of Fox News, Suzanne Scott, said we have to stop fact checking these claims about the election because it's bad for business. It's bad for ratings when we fact check these claims and say that they're not true. Tucker Carlson used the word insane. Yeah. He said that these allegations are insane. That didn't stop him from going on TV and broadcasting these lies to the world. And we, we have evidence that you know, Abby Grossberg's lawyer was on last night with Alex and said, look, they, they didn't turn everything over. They, you know, they were holding information back that was, that was damning and didn't turn it all over. It, it feels like they know that they're in a corner on the issue of falsity, right? Uh, the judge is on to Fox's game. He's already sanctioned Fox for not turning over evidence that they were supposed to. Even more interestingly, the in a defamation case, there's two things. One was the issue false, and second, that they know it was false and right. put it out anyway. The judge said the jury doesn't even have to decide about whether it was true or false. It was false. He said the jury doesn't have to deliberate whether the— election was rigged, right. whether the Dominion was founded to support the election of Hugo Chavez. Right. That's not a question for the jury. The judge said the only thing the jury has to decide is whether Fox knew yeah. that it was false. The, the, the question, the out, the, the, I'm giving you the outgoing question here, Tim Miller, because Fox News has not paid any price for this at all. Their viewers are watching even more. Um, they know, at least they should be able to find out somewhere on Twitter that Tucker Carlson despises Donald Trump, hates him passionately, called him a demonic force. They don't seem to care as long as the actors on Fox continue to tell them what they want to hear. Yeah, look, they, they had a chance after January 6th to try to make a bet and to go a different direction to get rid of the people that were spreading lies, but they saw the threat from Newsmax. We can see all this in the emails. And Rupert Murdoch said it as clearly as you can say it. He said it's not about red or blue, it's about green. We yeah. have to keep pushing these kind of lies because of the money. So they are continuing to do it. Now, we'll see. Now, they, they did have to settle out of court about with a Venezuelan uh, uh, businessman about one of the lies about that. And, and this Dominion, I, I mean, John Poulos, the, the CEO of Dominion, is out for blood. And so I, I don't, we, we will see. Usually in a case like this, they would have settled already right now, but Dominion is yeah. not up for settling. And so I think they could they could see some punishment here. We'll see. Well, there's also Smartmatic that's right behind them. Maybe the reason they're not settling is right. they're worried that if they settle, Smartmatic will pay. But I guess my point to you is their viewers don't care. I, I feel like Fox News could pay out a bazillion dollars admitting that they are lying to them, admitting that they don't respect any of their viewers. And I really yeah. don't see any evidence that their viewers actually care. They just want to hear what they want to hear. And they don't really care if the people they're saying to them are lying. But that's what the evidence looks like to me. But anyway, uh, Paul Butler, Tim Miller, up next on the readout. The recent upheaval in the Tennessee legislature probably seems shocking to many. But that's only because we haven't been paying close enough attention to what's been going on there for decades. The readout continues after this. Tennessee Representative Justin Pearson was officially sworn back into the state house today, marking the end of what has been an incredibly unsuccessful, not to mention downright embarrassing, political stunt by Republicans. And while it may have shocked the world to see not just the complete disregard for Democratic values, but the utterly disrespectful treatment of these two young black lawmakers in the year of our Lord 2023, it shouldn't have shocked anyone who's been paying close attention to the Tennessee Republican Party. One reporter for Politico, who previously worked at the Tennessean covering the state capitol, says that this is actually pretty on brand. 
recalling how the chief of staff to the former House Speaker once wrote in a text message, quote, black people are idiots. Another time, a member of House Republican leadership referred to Justin Jones, then an activist, and another black lawmaker as baboons. And a member presenting a bill about sanctuary cities used the term wetback while telling a story. That's what they were saying in 2018 and 2020. I asked Justin Pearson about that last night. The state capitol run by the Republican majority is a toxic work environment. Uh, I will be the first to admit that it is undergirded by white supremacy and patriarchy. It has for too long operated as a place of injustice and, and, and disservice to the people of the state of Tennessee. Those are the things that undergird the foundations of the institution. And today, new audio uncovered by the Tennessee Holler of a closed-door meeting of the Republican caucus after the votes to expel the Tennessee Three just further proves Pearson's point. NBC News has not independently verified the recording, but when asked about it, Tennessee House Republicans told a local ABC affiliate, we have no comment about private conversations. Take a listen. You should have went to the speaker and said, I'm changing my vote. And if it posted at 65, somebody would have taken you behind the dais and explained to you why this is important. But it would have given us the opportunity to not throw the rest of us under the bus. I've been called a racist, a misogynist, a white supremacist more in the last two months of my life than I had my entire life. By golly, I'm biting my tongue. Joining me now is Michael Harriet, columnist for The Grio. Uh, Michael, thank you for, for being here. One of the other things that one of the uh, other people on that recording said is, I think now more than ever, everyone should recognize that Democrats are not our friends. And then they named three black lawmakers and point them out and saying, I've never had anybody call me a racist. Last three days, I've heard them all call me a racist, essentially saying that the villains were the black lawmakers. What, what do you make of all of this, given what you know about Tennessee and the way it's run? Well, you know, it's par for the course in Tennessee. Remember, before the war, Tennessee legislature tried to pass a law to expel all Negroes. They would give them a choice to either voluntarily submit themselves to being or to leave and go back to Africa, literally. So they were going to expel all of the black people from the state uh, before the Civil War. And it seems as if they had never stopped trying. Remember, the Speaker of the House uh, represents a district that mysteriously in 1900, all of the black people disappeared in this district. Nobody could ever figure out why. If you look at the 1890 census, there were 500 black people in Crossville, Tennessee, and in 1900, two, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, and nobody would, in 1960, there were two, right? And, but remember, Every time the people in this district went to elementary school and when they walked through the front doors, there was a mural of a lynching on the wall until 2018. So this is when you look at that environment, this is no surprise. And we have a, a picture of that mural because th th there have been a lot of questions. You know, the other person who has become, there it is, you can see a lynching, you can see a Confederate flag. That is the, and they're called the rebels. Um, that is where, um, per your research and reporting, that is where the current speaker's kids go to school, right? Let's talk about his district. Is it still, I know it historically it was a sundown town, meaning blacks were told, you better be out of here by sundown, you can't be here. Is it still as seemingly racist and white supremacist and segregated as it has been? Well, remember now that they took that mural down, the people 
who lived in this community was were outraged. And uh, and yeah, I mean, it's still less than one percent black. Uh, it's still pretty white. Um, you know, we know the speaker really doesn't kind of spend most of his time there. His children go yeah. to an even whiter school in uh, Nashville, right, right outside of Nashville. One of those Christian white uh, nationalists, the John Edwards Classical Education and Society. And it, the, the viewers should know that classical education is one of those dog whistles that means CRT is not taught here. Um, you know, when the, those people like the Moms of Liberty uh, oppose CRT, they say they want their children to have a classical education, which means like the stuff that the, da the daughters of the Confederacy want you to learn, the stuff that, you know, says that George Washington was not a slave. That's the stuff <laughs> that they hear is a classical education. Let me play one more bite. This is uh, what they f claim they fear. This is a representative, state representative named Scott Sapicki. Um, let's listen to what he had to say. The left wants Tennessee so bad because if they get us, the Southeast falls, and it's game over for the Republic. This is not a neighborhood social gathering. We are fighting for the Republic of our country right now. And the world is staring at us. Are we going to stand our ground? Based on the fact that they don't allow Democrats to even put bills on the floor, the fact that they do voice votes where they just make up who they heard scream in the yell in the majority, and they literally won't allow Democrats to do anything, and they have a supermajority. What does that mean when you hear that? We're fighting for the future of our country. The left wants Tennessee so bad. If they get us, the Southeast falls, and it's game over. Right. What what they mean is you know black people. Right. Like, like, so you would think that Tennessee was a really white state when you look at the makeup of the state legislature. But it's not. They've just, they've just gerrymandered the black people out. They've instilled institutional white supremacy on the maps in the education system. Remember, this, the, the Speaker of the House um, pushed for the school board elections to be partisan. He uh, eliminated poverty based covid uh, funds for the public schools and then gave them all that 60 million dollars to Christian-based, white, rich, public, I mean, private schools. So, like, they're instilling white supremacy, and they fear that, like, any notch that goes towards equality is a notch that kind of eliminates them from their power. And I don't think it is necessarily about protecting the white people, because if they wanted to protect the white people, they would have passed the gun control legislation, right? right? They would have they would have taught uh, wanted their kids to learn actual history. So they don't want to protect white people. They want to protect white power. Yeah, and they that mean that sounds like they're no different than Florida, Mississippi. You, I, we could go on and on and on where this is yeah. happening across the country. Michael Harriet uh, and y'all can't. I cannot wait for Black AF history to come out. So thank you for being on here. Really appreciate you. Thank you. And still ahead. Thank you. Still ahead. Senator Dianne Feinstein asks to be temporarily replaced on the Judiciary Committee amid calls to resign as an appeals court ruling on the abortion pill ban highlights the importance of that committee's role in appointing judges. In the twisted Handmaid's Tale timeline we've been living in since Mullah Alito and his friends on the Supreme Court killed Roe v. Wade, medical care for American women is determined by the courts, many of them led by white, male, right-wing religious ideologues placed on the bench by Senator Mitch McConnell, 
and Donald Trump. The goal, and their lasting legacy to America, is that these judges will be around for decades. Early this morning, two male Trump appointees from conservative, from the conservative Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals decided that us little ladies can have access to the abortion pill mifepristone, but on their terms. A third judge on that court, Katharina Haynes, a female George W. Bush appointee, said she would have temporarily blocked the ruling in full. But, you know, supermajorities. The Department of Justice is appealing the decision to the Alito court, which already told us what they think of women's reproductive rights. The reversal of Roe has led to state level has led state level Republicans to pass even more restrictive laws like Florida, where just today the legislature passed a six week abortion ban, which Ron DeSantis says he will sign. In short, judges matter and judicial confirmations have been one of President Biden's top priorities. He's done a pretty good job appointing a diverse slate of them, the diverse slate of judges. However, the Senate Judiciary Committee, where these judges are nominated, has been delayed in moving ahead because of the absence of one of its Democratic members, California's Dianne Feinstein. She's been sidelined since February when she developed shingles. Last night, amid calls for her to resign, the senior senator from California issued this statement, quote, My return to Washington has been delayed due to continued complications related to my diagnosis. I remain committed to the job and will continue to work from home in San Francisco, unquote. She asked Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer to temporarily replace her on the committee. Now, NBC News is reporting that Republicans, however, may refuse to play ball. And if they do, a Republican senator on the Judiciary Committee said the party's willingness to consent would depend on who Democrats put forward. Almost on cue... Minority Leader McConnell announced that he would be back in the Senate next week following his own health issues. Joining me now is Barbara Boxer, former U.S. Senator from California. And, you know, Senator, I have to tell you, this is giving me Ruth Bader Ginsburg vibes. Um, mm-hmm. The senator is 89 years old. She is one of the two most senior members of the United States Senate. Chuck Grassley and she were both born in 1933. She has been a dynamic, historic senator. The assault weapons ban we have had for a while because of her. So she has a a fantastic legacy that it feels like she's harming now by refusing to resign. Your thoughts? I'm very worried about her. I'm very worried about the situation in the United States Senate. You know, Joy, it's very, very hard to leave a job that you love. I know because I did it. You know, whether you're a news anchor or you're a doctor or a United States senator, it's very hard. But the difference between a news anchor and a doctor, they can get a substitute in there. You can't do it in the Senate. So I think it is really time for my dear friend who I made history with and and who I respect and has nothing left to prove in terms of her legacy I mean, she needs to surround herself with the people who love her the most, with her doctors, with some colleagues that she trusts, and figure this out. You can work from home to a degree, but if you're not on the Senate floor, you can't vote. And Dick Durbin has already stated it's really impossible in the committee. And the Republicans, I am, you know, I'm not shocked at their reaction, but they play the hardest hardball, the meanest hardball. 
So I'm very concerned about the situation. Right. I mean, the reporting, there are two pieces of reporting that are disturbing. Piece number one, that you know, there's reporting from Politico that Diane Feinstein might never return, you know, that she might not return at all, that she might stay in California. The second piece is the demands that we're seeing from Republicans. They're saying, ha, we've got her, right? And you know Mitch McConnell's whole dream is to control all of the federal courts if he can. They're now hinting that they would demand Kirsten Cinema be the replacement. Come on. Let's not be, let's get it. So she has called her colleagues old jelly, jello eating old men. She has been disdainful of the party. They're saying that's the only person we would accept. And there has to be a full vote of the Senate in order to replace her on the committee. So Republicans now have a hand over it. They literally can stop the replacement unless they get everything that they want. There doesn't seem to be a rationale for her to do anything other than resign the seat and allow the governor of California to replace her with a senator who can actually vote. We have seen what these judges can do to women and what they're doing. I don't understand how her conscience lets her stay in. I don't understand it. Well, um, I'm not giving up on her decision making at this point because she has said she'd step away from judiciary. If the Republicans play games with it, look, it looks like they are. In the days when I was there, that would never happen. Never. No party would do that. Nothing surprises me. They are playing the worst hardball with this. And as you say, they're using this to, uh, you know, force the hand of the Democrats to not put decent, good judges uh, up there. You know, I want to point out that this judge who did this, this angry, cruel man, that's what I think um, toward women. I mean, he's a danger to women. He didn't get one Democratic vote. And it, it says to me, the one thing I hope comes out of this, um, besides Senator Feinstein taking a hard look at the situation as it really is, is that people understand and connect the dots between their daily lives, getting a drug that they need. Women are going to have abortions. I was there before Roe. Women died. And still, they did self-inflicted abortions. So here's the thing. One judge can wreak havoc. And connecting the dots between who sits in the Senate, okay, who is president, and who sits in the judiciary, we have to connect the dots for people. People say, oh, I don't want to vote. They're all alike. The Democrats, the Republicans, they're this, they're that. You know what? No, no two people are alike. And when it comes to the judiciary, we're losing our rights every single minute. And, you know, when this is the Supremes, you know, God help us. But I am hopeful because big pharma hates this decision. I'm hopeful some of them have taken some of the Supremes on trips. Yeah. Yeah. We shall see. I'm just going to say this, and I will leave it here. Uh, Speaker Pelosi, who is now Speaker Emerita, I think demonstrated to the world how you really exercise your power by stepping aside and being involved and choosing your own successor. She will go down as the greatest speaker in history, I think, in part because of the way she stepped aside and passed the torch to younger leadership. That is real power. And I hope that somebody can go and have a conversation with Dianne Feinstein, not to uh, harm her her own legacy by refusing to give up a seat uh, that is really owned by the 40 million people of California, not by any individual politician. Uh, Former Senator Barbara Boxer, thank you for being here. Much appreciated. 
Thank you. Coming up next, today's arrest of a 21-year-old suspected of sharing classified documents on Discord highlights the murky and potentially dangerous nature of this increasingly popular social hub. We'll be right back. to social media, there's a range of sites where people can join online communities. But unless you're an avid gamer or a member of Gen Z, you probably aren't familiar with Discord, a social media and messaging platform founded in 2015. And as the New York Times notes, driven in part by the pandemic, it has exploded into the mainstream. In 2021, Discord had more than 150 million active users each month, up from 56 million in 2019. But it's not just for gamers or young people meeting friends. It's also a space where people are going down rabbit holes of extremism and violence, sharing their intentions and finding like-minded people. In the second half of 2020, Discord deleted thousands of extremist communities, including forums related to the far right, the violent anti-government boogaloo movement, and QAnon conspiracy theories. Discord has a zero-tolerance policy toward extremism, but that hasn't stopped extremists from using it for dark and dangerous purposes. White supremacists used Discord to organize the Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville, Virginia in 2017, where a woman was killed. The racist who, the racist who shot and killed 10 people at a grocery store in Buffalo detailed his plans on Discord, posting documents from the avowed racist who killed 51 Muslims in attacks on mosques in New Zealand in 2019. And other messages made his intentions clear. Quote, it's time to stop blank posting and time to make a real life effort. Blank post. I will carry out an attack. The suspect who killed seven people at a 4th of July parade in Highland Park, Illinois, also had his own Discord server, where so-called fans and people who knew him would chat and share posts that he made of himself. Of course, Discord is not alone in becoming a breeding ground for online extremism and violence. The Buffalo shooter live-streamed his violence on another platform, Twitch, and also posted motives on 4chan. And the gunman who killed 19 kids in Uvalde, Texas, posted threats on Ubo, a social networking app popular with the young folks. But it is Discord that is now at the center of one of the largest military and intelligence breaches in decades, after an anonymous member posted images of leaked documents detailing secret classified Pentagon intelligence on one of its servers. A blockbuster report in the Washington Post identified the poster as a young, charismatic gun enthusiast who shared the documents with a group of posters united by their mutual love of guns, military gear, and God in an invitation-only clubhouse on Discord. Of course, it grew from there, and today we found out the alleged Pentagon leaker's identity, and the suspect is now in custody. And that is coming up after the break. I want to keep OG's identity secret because I still care for him like he's a family member. He is not a Russian operative. He is not a Ukrainian operative. I'll go as far to say he's not even on the east side of the world. He was a young, charismatic man who loved nature, God, who loved shooting guns and, and racing cars. The Washington Post interviewed a member of the online community on the social media platform Discord about the man he knew as OG, who was responsible for the massive leak of classified Pentagon documents, including sensitive U.S. military secrets about the war in Ukraine. Well, today we learned who OG is. Attorney General Merrick Garland announced the arrest of 21-year-old Jack Teixeira, 
a Massachusetts Air National Guardsman in connection with a Justice Department investigation into how the classified Pentagon documents made their way online. The New York Times first identified Teixeira, noting that he oversaw a private online group where about 20 to 30 people, mostly young men and teenagers, came together over a shared love of guns, racist online memes, and video games. And where months ago, a user uploaded hundreds of pages of intelligence briefings into the group. Joining me now is John Brennan, former CIA director and MSNBC senior national security analyst, along with Ben Collins, NBC News senior reporter. Thank you both for being here. Director Brennan, I do want to start with you. Tell us the damage here um, from this release. Well, I think there's been quite a bit of damage, and I know my former colleagues right now are trying to clean up the mess that's been created by these unauthorized disclosures. Clearly, the concern is the compromise of sources and methods that really provide intelligence community and our policymakers insights into what's going on around the world, especially in Ukraine. And so, therefore, the public release of these documents will give our adversaries the ability to shut off some of these sources of information, whether they be human assets or technical collection systems. So, again, I think what they're trying to do is mitigate the damage right now, work with our allies and partners, reassure them that we're taking all the steps necessary to, again, stem the flow of this information into the public domain. You know, the question that I had when I first heard this, Director Brennan, is how is it possible for a 21-year-old Air National Guardsman to even have access to this? What's going on in terms of the way that we secure our national secrets? Trump took him home and put him under his bed. This kid was able to put him on his Discord just to entertain his friends. It doesn't seem like we're securing stuff too well. Yeah, I'm shocked that a person, a, a junior member of the military for the Massachusetts Air National Guard had access to this strategic sensitive intelligence. Something is very wrong here. Now, I don't know whether or not he used his technical skills because I think he was involved in IT to gain some unauthorized access. But even if you have access to the top secret system, it's called JWICS, the Joint Worldwide Intelligence Communication System, Mm -hmm. you're not supposed to have access to information that you don't need. And so therefore, I think it's not just this young individual who's been arrested who's in trouble. I think there are other people who are going to have a lot of explaining to do about why this information was disseminated so widely and why he had the ability to actually download this information as a, a very junior member of the Massachusetts Air National Guard. Ben, let me go to you, because this, this, unlike, you know, Snowden or uh, Manning and some of these previous, this person didn't seem to be ideological, right? Um, or, you know, re- a reality winner who was trying to help the U.S. versus Russia. Th- this person seems like he was entertaining his fans on Discord. Talk a little bit about these these platforms and how they're being used and who they're attracting. Yeah, I want to, of course, yeah, I, I want to uh, cite my colleague, uh, Spencer Ackerman, who has a good blog post about this today where he says that this is the first uh, chud or edgelord uh, leaker. This is a guy who has no larger point politically. He's doing this to make better friends with people, a 20 to 30 person group of people playing video games on the internet together. That's really what happened here. I want to give you the quick chain of custody here, which is kind of interesting. He was in this very small group of Discord uh, users. Discord is like Slack. If you had that, you know, in an office or Microsoft Teams or something, it's almost exactly like that. But from there, people took those documents that he was sharing with his friends to get what they call clout in those spaces to another Discord, also a private Discord. And then there was another person from that Discord that took that to a Minecraft Discord with lots of people in it. Minecraft is another video game. Again, this is pretty much all children going on at this point. Once it was there, they brought that over to 4chan. Uh, Somebody had altered uh, a bunch of the documents uh, that upped Ukrainian casualties from the original documents. 
uh, to 4chan and then to Russian Telegram. That's where it really, you know, piqued the uh, interest of U.S. Uh, of uh, of American interests. So again, this started so small. This is 20, 30 people talking about video games in a space. This guy was trying to impress his friends. And then at the end of the day, it becomes this massive national security issue. And I mean, you think about how many of them. We're just going to put a few. There's Discord, there's Twitch, there's Telegram, Steam, Roblox, 4chan, Yubo, things that people, most most of the people watching this have never heard of most of them. But it does feel like there's this combination of people who are lonely, who are, you know, gun enthusiasts, who are, you know, far right wing Christian. And there are all these sort of people that are kind of on their own in little groups where they create their own little fan bases. This is now something that I'm not sure the intelligence community is ready to deal with, Ben, but it seems like they better catch up real quick. Yeah, we're at the start of something. And enjoy it's when we say it's not ideological, and I don't mean it's not ideological in the sense that the people who were around didn't have ideology. They absolutely did. Um, when he was shooting some of those guns in a video that he posted, uh, according to the Washington Post, um, you know, he was he was yelling racial slurs in it. Uh, these are people who are uh, not necessarily uh, absent of politics. The politics just happen to be pretty extreme, right? Yeah. Uh, the smaller groups you get, the more private you get in these spaces, uh, that's what's happening. So, uh, look, we're at the start of something, Joy. It's just going to, you know, these are just going to keep happening. Yeah. And and the thing is, you know, Dr. Brennan, this is, he's the OG, he's 21. The other people in this group are teenagers. Is the intelligence community ready to deal with this between the mass shootings that use these platforms and where they launch and, and put their manifestos and now threats to national security? Are we ready for this? Well, law enforcement community and the intelligence community better be, because these chat rooms, these fora in the dark web, uh, these enclaves uh, have served uh, extremist purposes, including terrorists. Uh, They have been able to exploit the opportunities that exist in that web. And so I think what we've seen right now is how these small chat rooms, either of young Americans and teenagers and others, can be an outlet for the unauthorized disclosures of very sensitive uh, secrets from the intelligence community. And, and Ben, they are also completely out of the eyeballs of even their parents, let alone these are these are young people who are free to to act. And they seem to be also developing extremist ideologies together. Yeah, this this kid was in a military family, right? Um, he he probably should have known better about this specific stuff, but he probably just thought it was a really small space and 20 or 30 people in it. And at the start, it is. But the Internet expands really quickly once stuff yeah. gets out. And that's what happened here. Yeah, and, and the threat to national security is real, Director Brennan, because we are literally supporting Ukraine in a war against Russia, who has also attacked us through the digital realm. Absolutely. That's why there's such risk in terms of what he did. And he intentionally violated his security obligations, irrespective of his age. He should have known better. He did know better, but he decided to push this out. And yeah. he'll be held accountable for it. Oh, he's going to find out the real world jail and uh, the whole Twitter world that you're doing. Two different things. John Brennan and Ben Collins. Thank you. And that is tonight's readout.